0: Ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, goofballs, scumbags, and everything else in between. Whether you was watching the transfers, the rumors, or whether you wasn't, I mean, that's on you. We are back at it again, this is episode 99 out of 100, almost there, woo, of the Football Misfits, home of the Footballing Misfits. I am your host with the most, sometimes, LV, a.k.a. Paper Fronto, a.k.a. My Black Bottom, a.k.a. Buck Nasty, a.k.a. El Pistolero. Only for the summertime. It's hot out here, y'all. And it would not be the Football Misfits <laughs> without the other host with the most test. Speaking of hot, <laughs> he is quite hot. Mr. Misfits himself, the one who gets it done, has gotten it done and will always get it done. I'm talking about Ronnie. Ronnie, say what's good for the one time.
1: Uh, I take that as a compliment. Thank you so much. What's going on, everybody? Happy Juneteenth days. Stay strong. Be brave.
0: This would not be the Football Misfits without the other host. Not Ronnie. I'm talking about the Cyclopedia Britannica, Spencer Tino Perez. Shit. I don't think it gets hotter than this. Y'all may know me Spencer, and so do I. Spencer, it was good for the one time.
1: What's going on, everybody? Peace and love. Peace and love. I so have to appreciate this man for cutting his... Real Madrid charity dinner meeting short to come pod with us. Right, Right, Elvi?
0: Yeah, I mean, I didn't think we were going to get lucky to be graced with uh, Spencer's presence at the data desk. He was out there uh, crunching big numbers, uh, allegedly, at the uh, Fiorentino Perez suite. They were having a million-dollar dinner. I heard surf and turf, lobster, steak, caviar, things I've never heard of. You know how
2: it goes. Happy to have him, though. Chicken quesadillas in a cone is actually pretty bomb. (laughs) <laughs> See, I'm, sounds
0: expensive? Sounds yummy. <laughs> Give me a in the cone. <laughs> Shit.
1: Sounds above my pay grade if you're combining two different kinds of foods, so I'm with it. In the cone though, that's genius. Gotta patent that one. Oh.
0: Neither here nor there. Uh different genre. That's food. We're talking about sports. Uh and speaking of sports, football is on the menu as always here at the Footballing Misfits. There were uh, games of plenty international uh, of course, uh, some finishing touches uh, if you will added to the good old FIFA World Cup that we know and love. Uh,
1: shall we get started in that uh, that neighborhood, Ronnie? Yeah, um, let's get right into it. We saw World Cup qualifying playoffs, the final two to determine the teams who will be playing in the World Cup. The first one was Australia versus Peru. I was disappointed at Peru. This wasn't the Peru that I know them to be. Their goal-getters, Christian Cueva, Gianluca Lapadula, they were just non-existent. And whenever there was a chance, it would be wide. It would be off the post. It would be a save. And each set of these teams had like their sets of spurts. Peru, they had a chance where they were breaking on the counterattack. As it Australia, throughout the match, though, I feel like Australia had a had an edge. One thing that caught my attention was subbing the goalkeeper off for Australia. They benched their starter Matthew Ryan in his place came.
0: Oh, the dancing man!
1: <laughs> yes, the dancing man Andrew Redmayne, not Redman like the podcast so but Redmayne. He came on, and that was was a bit of peculiar. Like, you're bringing on a substitute goalkeeper as if they didn't have any confidence in Ryan, but teach their own, and we went on to the penalties, and that was was thrilling. Um, You said it, the dancing man, Andrew Redmayne. I've never seen this before. I've seen goalkeepers try to throw off the penalty kick taker. Um, We don't have to go far back to see I mean, Martinez just talking complete smack to Colombians when it was their turn to take penalties. But this man, Redmayne, he was literally dancing along the line, doing some rain dances and whatnot on the goal. And I'm like, what is this? It's like a rag doll just moving up and down all over the place. I've never seen this. I'm sure you guys haven't either
0: no this was beautiful just when i thought goalkeeping performances in a penalty shootout couldn't get any better than emmy martinez uh a moment that will live in history to be fair andrew uh not red man red main red main delivered a performance for the ages my man had to twinkle toes <laughs> he caught me off guard and clearly <laughs> and clearly, he caught peru off guard as well <laughs> excellent stuff i mean goalkeepers are finding it. Um, you know, I I would say sometimes the least appreciated position in football, they're finding their ways to make themselves known,
1: whether it be talking that smack or, you know, a little ballet number, something like Australia did end up missing their first penalty, and then Peru ended up missing their first penalty on their third try, um, Luis Advincula. And then after the match, the penalties were tied 4-4 on sudden death. Peru missed their first shot in sudden death. Um Alex Valera had his saved by Red Main and boom, Australia goes to the World Cup. Soccer I don't know been... if Red Main's tactics were working for him. I mean, were working for him and distracting the Peruvian penalty kick takers, or if his shit housery of throwing away Pedro Galles' water bottle with the with the Australian penalty kick tactics had something to do with it as well. Because allegedly he did do that too. Like he found the The Peru water bottle for the Australia penalty kick tactics and just chucked it. When you're in penalties, it's the ultimate 50-50 and you got to give credit to Australia.
0: I should begin by saying we was dead wrong. We went Peru all the way, thought it was going to happen. The match itself was scoreless, obviously, in the uh, regular time and extra time as well. It was a goalkeeping performance, I think, uh, that really stood out in this match. We obviously mentioned Redmayne, uh, Matty Ryan as well for Australia, the Socceroos. Uh, Had some really important saves in the first half, um, and then it was just right on into the second half with the Peruvian goalkeeper Pedro Galés. I think Did I say it right? Who knows? Galés. What you said.
1: Uh, (laughs) And so
0: they were going back and forth, you know, making sure that they kept the goals uh, out of their net, and they did exactly that. It wasn't a nil-nil match. That thank you, Spencer, as he said, I was close. It wasn't a nil-nil match that was boring. It was not even great defending really it was just the goalkeepers going crazy which is why i was surprised to see maddie ryan get subbed off late on uh for the penalty shootout because he was performing so well and i would have backed him to stay in there and and continue that in penalties but as you said it is 50 50 and it seems like the soccer had something up their sleeve and that something was andrew redmayne because <laughs> uh it worked out for them and when none of us to believe that australia will be back in the world cup a place that they're going to end up no matter what, especially if they're playing in this final uh, qualifier match. Yeah, they, they lifted themselves up by their uh, ba- ballet uh, shoes, slippers, if you will, and uh, <laughs> on to uh, to Qatar they go. They booked their ticket in Peru, unfortunately, like you said. we won't be seeing La Podula wilding and, and having those uh, wonderful finishes and same with uh, Cueva. They're done and dusted. Australia done did it. Big ups to Australia.
1: Two points on Australia right really quick. Um one, shout out to our Australian connect by the name of Louise Taffa. She mentioned that Redmayne had done the similar tactic in the grand final in 2019 for Sydney FC, which led to them winning the A League. So and Graham Arnold knew that, and that's why he brought him on. So um thanks for giving me that information. The Sakuro's secret weapon, if you will
0: um clear clear. he's doing some sort of hypnosis I, I mean i don't know but whatever it was it worked i've never seen it it had me hypnotized i'm in there watching the tv like hey s- something's going on here I
1: mean, now he was wilding a little bit because he would be he would put his feet over the line and then bring it right back and the reference was like yo you gotta stop this nonsense
0: <laughs> hey your toes is twinkling a little too much <laughs> he might have missed so- his phone he might have missed his calling because should have been a, a a you know a ballerina or something. But you know, sa- saving the penalties to send his nation to the World Cup, not a not a bad way to uh, have your second calling, if you will. That man was born a dance.
1: <laughs> like, like we said, we gotta feel for Peru. Um, I mentioned that Luis Advincula was one of the penalty takers to miss his shot. That man was just distraught after the fact, to the point where he took to social medias and basically took the blame all on himself and retired from the national team. And I quote, I apologize to my family and friends for the pain I caused to all of Peru. I am the only one responsible for this debacle and my life will not be enough to apologize. I got here today. I take a step to the side of the national team. I don't think I have the strength to get up from this. To my colleagues, thank you very much. And I'm sorry for so little. And then he mentioned that his time is done with the national team. He's really going through it. He's down bad right now. I won't. I don't think it was his fault they lost. Things happen. Literally, as soon as Australia the, um, had their game-winning penalty saved, he just dropped to the ground at Vincula. Just got a feel for him, really, man. Hopefully he's in a better mental state now, almost a week after the fact. But that's crazy. For him to feel like it's his fault, that's just wild, man.
0: You can always feel like you let your nation down, missing a penalty. We've seen it time and time again. At the end of the day, those things happen. You know, there's a sad story on one side and a, and a jubilant story on the other side. Sucks that he's taking it that way, and I can understand absolutely. Some would argue. I mean, after the Euros, Marcus Rashford he hasn't been the same, hasn't seemed the same. To be fair, this does kind of weigh heavy on you. And this is for the World Cup, let alone a continental title. Yeah, really deep stuff. But yeah, on a brighter note for uh the soccer Australia, as I said before, uh, has booked their ticket to Qatar. They will feature at the World Cup. There was one more. One more uh, qualifier, one last place, if you will, uh, to book a spot. This one featured another Latin American country and another oceanic country, if you will. Uh, We had Costa Rica, (laughs) as we said last week, the vintage Costa Rica, (laughs) old as dust. (laughs) And uh, New Zealand going at it for that final spot.
1: Yes. And Costa Rica, put it away after three minutes, Joel Campbell. Scoring off of a cross from Yeltsin Benete, who is 18 years old. So, um, a little bit of yellow flair. <laughs> they're, they're integrating the youth into their national team, which is something I'm happy to see because they desperately need that shit. Perfect timing. It was at a point where New Zealand were scoring, but VAR was not their friend. You mentioned Yeltsin Tejada is still playing for Pura Vida. Crazy. He gave up, uh, he gave up possession chris wood scored but var ruled the goal back because of a foul in the buildup later on in the second half um there was a tackle from costas costa i don't know how to pronounce that last name i'm sorry but um he tackled um francisco calvo he was initially showed a yellow but it, instead it got overturned to a red card um controversially he um New Zealand were not fans of that. On um, to the coach, where Danny Hayes said FIFA has let us down. Um, that is that is wild shit. And they're blaming the fact that European referees ref Australia, Peru, and a uh, Middle Eastern referee referee this match. That sounds prejudiced to me, but who am I to judge? I'm not FIFA. Either way, Costa Rica didn't play the cleanest match. Didn't play the most beautiful football, but they got the job done one nothing winners, Pura Vida, in the World Cup. Vamos, Tico. Let's get to Nations League.
0: Yes, indeed. That Nations League where uh, there's matches aplenty. Uh, Officially, I believe, uh, entered into their final week of matches this past week. Um, I guess we should, as we did last week, sort of treat it like a, a match of the week or things that stuck out to you that were either very good
1: or very bad. Anything you want to point out, Ronnie? Some of these Nations League matches coincided with the World Cup qualifiers. So, of course, my attention went to that. I did give myself the Sparks Notes version of some of these Nations League games. And uh, which ass weapon do you want to start off with first? Germanys or Inc. or Hungary's? Now, I'm, if
0: I know you, Ronnie, and I would like to think that I do, you want to start with Gareth Southgate in England.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't really fancy the English... Because of the cockiness and the braggadocious POV from a lot of their supporters. Like, uh,
0: yes, the, uh, the it's coming homeness.
1: Yeah, it, it was cute in 96. It's cringeworthy now. Yeah, they got ass whooped at the Malinu for nothing by Hungary. It was the heaviest defeat on home soil in like 95, 96 years. And I can't even tell you anything about the Hungarian goal scorers. I don't know who they are. But I can tell you about John Stones who got sent off though
0: yeah and one thing i can say is that third goal from hungary was a banger
1: that i can say too
0: <laughs> absolute rocket absolute rocket yeah england had no idea what hit them uh it was so bad to the point that harry uh Maguire made it uh, another appearance um and he's been a few and far between here in the in these nations leagues uh as you said john stone's got that red card so we did have to see the appearance of one harry Maguire, but you made a very good point a couple of weeks back about the Nations League being a chance for coaches and teams to experiment uh, with their lineups and bring folks in. England doesn't get that pass
1: for you? What do you mean? That they shouldn't be able to experiment?
0: That this is just experimentation and it just kind of didn't work so they might have to go back to what did work for them? Or they're just shite? On the day do.
1: they were shite. They shouldn't be. like, Yeah, they tweaked some people around. Ramsdale was in goal and he let four in. I would assume that Pickford is their number one going into Qatar. I
0: think I would agree with you at the moment. I don't know. I mean, the Nations League, it's a big question of are they really experimenting and, and will they revert back to what they know best? We know that England, in the Euro, at least, where they did so well, their their latest um, competition where they did so well, they would play in the formation of, uh, of a three-at-the-back or a five-at-the-back formation, and I'm not sure we saw much of that.
1: It was a 4-3-3 against Hungary.
0: Right, and so... I'm not sure we saw much of that that England uh, uh, lineup or that, that formation that, that did them very well over the past year or so.
1: So uh, it was definitely them tinkering with the lineup, but I don't know, like, you should still be beating Hungary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't disagree with that. <laughs> um, this now, is a Hungary of 1950, where there were world beaters. Yeah, absolutely. So uh,
0: should these performances in the Nations League for England um, I mean, capping it off with this ass-whooping, they, after four matches, have zero wins, uh, two losses, and two draws. I believe they have one more, is it in September?
1: Wow. They have two more Nations League matches in September. And if anything, I will say that is when you have to take the Nations League seriously because those are the only two matches before the World Cup.
0: Yeah, and so that'll be a chance for you to actually get into World Cup rhythm. Uh, as would make sense, but um, based on their performance here in you know the summertime in the Nations League, is it uh, should should the English fans be panicking or is it something that they can kind of brush off and say, hey, well you know it's the Nations League.
1: Hey man, I've seen a lot of people say eh, it's just the Nations League, who cares? But a lot of those same people saying, oh shit, why are we losing to Hungary? Oh shit, Gareth Southgate fire his ass, sack him. So I don't know. It's the fans, especially the English, are very fickle. I think it's a cause for concern, nothing too alarming. Again, you have the September window, and like I said, you might not care about the Nations League, but those two games you have coming up in September against Italy in Italy and against Germany in England, probably Wembley, you have to take those games seriously. Those are your last two games going into the World Cup. Yeah, And again, against Italy, by the way, that shit was so boring. Look, we mentioned that last week. Yeah, um,
0: complete opposite of the Euro final.
1: Complete opposite. Yeah, now, you have so- to take those two Nations League games seriously to the point. Seriously, because they're the two notes for the World Cup. In those games, you have to know which is the team you're going to field against Iran in match day one. You have to. I at least that's what I think.
0: Yeah, and I, I respect that. But you did mention both those other teams in the group, Italy and Germany. They got into a little skirmish. Uh, of if you. I, I wouldn't. Call, I wouldn't call it a little skirmish. It was, it was more of an ass whipping, if you will. Um, Would you describe
1: it as inhumane? <laughs>
0: not, 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 quite. But it was. It was approaching that. It was approaching inhumane. It was brutal. It certainly was brutal. Um, they
1: definitely um, saved themselves from an utter ass whooping by getting two late consolation goals, Italy. But during the match, boy,
0: when Timo Werner scores a brace, you know it's bad. You know it's bad. Um, and that's exactly what he did, and he was amongst the goal scorers, which included Ilka Gundogan, incredible midfielder, incredible season. He, hands off to him. And then, of course, Thomas Miller was also included in the goal scorers, 5 to the final score. Uh, Italy would get some consolation, as Ronnie said earlier, courtesy of Alessandro Bastoni in the 90-plus-4, and then before that, Wilfried Noto,
1: Yeah, he's actually been um, Italy's signing light during the Nations League. They're not in the World Cup. They have nothing to lose, Italy. Um, they're just... Mancini is fielding as many people as he can, and he's been quite the revelation for um, the Azzurri.
0: Yeah, and I think with England and Italy, they're having similar problems, I believe, at the back. And Gianluca Mancini, after winning the Europa Conference League with Roma, has been ass for Italy. He's been <laughs> horrible. Bastoni, I mean, he can't really say much about He's also been not the best conceding interesting goals uh I won't say much about Spinazzola because he's just now coming back and these are just really reps for him uh to be fair but Italy of course as we know is not in the World Cup and so I want to focus on Germany as we shit on England for the way that they performed especially in that last match getting getting uh, blown out by Hungary that was inhumane um I guess a similar question, just on the different side of the spectrum, if England should or shouldn't be worrying, should Germany be a bit more excited? I mean, they had their their results were not the best three draws and a win, six points, um, but a big three
1: win one against- ones.
0: Yeah, uh, exactly. And and then this this big win against the uh, defending European champions, should Germany be feeling a bit better about themselves going into the World Cup for a team that just has been turbulent uh, since the end of Yogi Love and then the. Uh, you know, the introduction of Hansi Flick.
1: Yeah, they're, um, they should be feeling better, but I wouldn't get carried away. Those were three 1 1 draws that could have been three German wins. And they've definitely been better since Hansi Flick took over. I'm not debating that. There's definitely a lot more room for improvement on this team, though. They'll have a good World Cup. They'll make it out the group and they might even make quarterfinal, but they still have some defensive frailties to, you know, tinker up. And then from there, I think Germany can feel really good. It could definitely feel really good. But if they somehow let Hungary win this Nations League group, I feel like they'll be kicking themselves.
0: Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. Um, And for me, the final question with regards to Nations League, unless you have any more you want to cover about this, these past couple game weeks, the 15,000 games in five days, what was your, I guess, uh, opinion of the Nations League this summer? Did you enjoy it? You think, thought it was trash? To be fair, I don't care.
1: Well, of course I enjoyed it. A lot of the games were interesting from the inhumane ass-whooping of the Dutch against Poland. No, against from the Belgians against Poland. Um, to England just getting ransacked. Spain putting up quite some entertaining performances. Um, what is it that you say, Luis? I think I said about playing all these games in all these days.
0: As a fitness demon is running six marathons in six days these there games go. Mean nothing to him
1: not a damn thing <laughs> <laughs> and then seeing upsets of course like france being at the bottom of their group denmark being on top not parts on upset but france being in the bottom is i enjoy it um and then if you go further down with the, the league b um group one the group with um ukraine scotland and um ireland and armenia that's been very entertaining ukraine and ireland have been providing very thrilling matches, that's pretty much all I've seen from the League B, other than Norway, you know, being a step above everyone else, and I did see a little bit of Greece, who are officially promoted to League B from League C, it's been interesting, um, I still agree that playing all these fixtures this close together, four matches in, like, 10 days is still beyond me, but other than that, the Nations League is completing its objective. What say you? Um, for me, I think it was a bit lackluster,
0: to be fair. And I had I had high hopes for it going into it. And I, I mean, I had a, a good impression and I think I've said as much a couple weeks ago in our pod. Uh, it was definitely achieving its goal of making it interesting, making a money grab interesting enough where I don't care that it's a money grab. But it sort of dipped in um, enjoyment for me midway through in the last couple of matches i will say uh, it's always fun to see a team score five six goals on a team that shouldn't be con- conceding five six goals as you mentioned england's first biggest ass whoop in, in something you know odd years um but overall i feel like as the competition drew on it got less and less interesting am i happy that it's over yeah i guess i guess i am <laughs> um but maybe i'm being a bit biased because i have world cup fever and uh i'm just waiting for that but all in all out of 10 i think i give it a six so not bad
1: but you're also um predisposed to not really mess with international footy so um that's neither here nor there
0: yeah and i guess i should clarify about that not necessarily messing with international footy when it disrupts club footy
1: yeah
0: or when it's you know Two teams I don't want to want to watch, but nah, nah, neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, that was the Nations League. If you care, and if you don't, then you know what to do. Slavin Village. We had some uh, some more announcements uh, over the week. Uh, speaking of international footy and World Cup fever, we know the World Cup is coming up in uh, just a couple months. Here, November, I believe, twenty first or twenty sixth. Don't uh, don't quote me on that one, but. If we're moving forward, thinking about the future, the 2026 World Cup, which we know will be stateside in in the USA, uh, Canada, and Mexico, uh, we got some more information, something that we can, I guess, you know, chew on and mull over
1: until that time comes by. We know where the venues will be. Yes, sir! 2026. I don't think I've ever been this anticipated for a World Cup host venue announcement. At least, I don't remember this ever being a big deal around the world. Like, when Russia had the World Cup, I don't remember them having this much excitement for which cities would host matches, whether it's Sochi or um Kazan, or when it was in Brazil, if it was going to be in Sao Paulo or Belo Horizonte. I don't remember this. So, for this hype here in 2026, I kind of fell into the hype. So, between... Canada and Mexico—they were bid. They had three bids each, and then the USA had sixteen cities bid for World Cup hosting privileges, and only sixteen between the three were selected. No, well, not- Mexico's three venues were selected: um, Mexico City Estadio Azteca, three-time World Cup host, first time ever. Oof. Um, Guadalajara's Estadio Akron, and then the BBVA Stadium in Mont. Ray, Monterrey, the one where you see the mountains in the background, beautiful. Canada's three venues that were um forbidding were Vancouver, BC Place that hosted the Women's World Cup final in 2015, Toronto's BMO Field where Toronto FC plays, and in Edmonton. Edmonton did not make the cut, leaving Vancouver and Toronto. And real quick on that, I'm Petty. If you make the Women's World Cup final on turf in Vancouver, you should have the men play on the same turf. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> and the American venues. I guess we can go from coast to coast, from west to east. Seattle. How we feel about Seattle?
0: I'm not mad at it. Uh, the home of uh, Fraser Crane. Uh, neither here nor there. But I'm excited about Seattle for the They fact love their footy like up there. They do love their footy, and that's why I'm excited about it. A big football town. Uh, a town of winners, if you will, in the domestic league, of course, the MLS. So I'm sure that they will bring the energy. I think and they are rightly so uh, awarded the host city uh, privilege. So I'm happy with Seattle. Uh,
1: San Francisco, the Bay Area.
0: It's pretty. It is what it is.
1: <laughs> Los Angeles.
0: Had to happen in L.A. Everybody wants to go to L.A. We know that. And the Specifically,
1: fact that- SoFi Stadium over the Rose Bowl.
0: Yes, and I am happy about that because I don't think that there's a stadium that is prettier than the SoFi Stadium in the country. In my country, I mean, stateside, uh, it's a hell of an arena, and I imagine it'll be quite the atmosphere uh, for World Cup footy. So, I'm excited about LA specifically. So my stadium. pushback
1: is I love the Rose Bowl for its nostalgia.
0: And I see, and I felt like you go that that direction. I know you love you know, some history and some, and some nostalgia. So it makes sense that the Rose Bowl should have maybe been chosen, chosen, but that's so far stadium, man. That's technology personified. That thing is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Stan Cronky. What what a job done. <laughs>
1: if only the Emirates all those same upgrades. Um, Oof. Dallas. Yeah. I mean,
0: a huge stadium. Uh, I'm not mad at it. I felt like it was going to go to D- Dallas. Jerry Jones going to figure it out somewhere. He said, football? I love football.
1: <laughs> so far, San Francisco, L.A., and Dallas hosted games in the 94 World Cup. Um, Houston.
0: I like it. Not mad at it.
1: Not mad at it either. I have close ties to Houston, so I'm with it. Um, Kansas City.
0: Why? I mean, no offense to Middle America. I'm from Middle America, but damn.
1: <laughs> now... I was surprised at this one because of how, big, how old the stadium is, and not that many upgrades have been made to the stadium. Maybe there have been, and I just haven't noticed. But not really feeling Kansas City on this one. Um, Miami
0: had to happen. We know Miami's getting into the international stage. We saw the Miami Grand Prix, uh, where you know, uh, funded by Spencer, so I'm told. Um, and so we. <laughs> I feel like Miami had to happen. I mean, it's Miami. Everybody loves Miami as, as far as tourists go. So I, I'm also not mad at it. They better get ready for Florida because <laughs> it's an interesting place.
1: Now, it was in Orlando in 94, and they bid for this, but they were um, they missed the cut. Um, and and now, Hard Rock district. Stadium it is a beautiful stadium.
0: It sure is. And no disrespect to Orlando, but thank God they didn't go there.
1: By the way, um, the Anglo-Saxons would pronounce it Grand Pricks. Yeah. Atlanta.
0: Yep, I mean another huge football town, uh, football, if you will, um, because you can get this conflated. But yeah, they're they're big on their soccer. Uh, Atlanta United came into the MLS with a splash, broke a bunch of uh, attendance records. It's the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. It's a great atmosphere. I'm happy with it.
1: I'm not mad at Atlanta since they joined MLS, Atlanta United, and they have been selling that building out like they usually tarp the upper tier, but. There's been times where they said, fuck it, let's just open this whole bitch open. And they get a good 70, 80,000 people in that building. So I'm not mad at that at all. There's always support in Atlanta. Um, Philly. I
0: mean, this one I like solely for the fact that it's in close proximity to me. So. Um, Is that although um, I you like Boston? Boston's slightly further away. Um, but I prefer Philly. If it's going to be in the East Coast and not in the uh, Tri-State area, which of course it's going to be, and we'll get to that, um, I
1: prefer. Let's for- get right there it. Another Tri-State area: New York, New Jersey.
0: Now you know I love this, Ronnie, and I'm sure you do as well. If not for the fact that that is right in our neck of the woods, our backyard, our stomping grounds, we are right there. Um, but also, where else would it have been? Of course, if you had LA, if you had Miami, you had Dallas, and you had Seattle, you had to hit the East
1: Coast, and it had to be New York, right? It had to be New York. you needed New York, you needed l a Miami you needed as well. you needed San Francisco Bay Area. New York was a given. and how stupid would it be if FIFA made the announcement in New York and New York not be selected? Whew.
0: yep couldn't see that happening which is all...
1: FIFA, so I can imagine <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless happy about New York, probably the most happy about New York and again for selfish reasons because it's in the misfits backyard
1: rumor is that that's where the final will be MetLife Stadium
0: and I feel like we've had these conversations before off the pod of course it makes sense and that would be quite the atmosphere MetLife Stadium you know New York tri-state area for the World Cup final if I remember correctly you have been in a building for a soccer final it wasn't the World Cup but it was the Copa America yes
1: it was quite the final Copa America it was the largest it was the largest crowd for a football match in New Jersey history, so I'm proud to have said I'm proud to have been a part of it. And it was quite the match as well. Not the most entertaining. The refereeing was trash. messy skying a penalty. Chile winning back-to-back Copas, phenomenal. Now, while we're celebrating, there are people who are not campfire football. Shouts to Sebastian. He is in the Denver area. And Denver didn't make the shortlist, according to his sources. FIFA were underwhelmed by the welcoming committee in Denver. He could only imagine the mugs that were in charge to mess it up such a no-brainer hosting bid. How do you feel about Denver not making the cut?
0: I absolutely agree. Big mistake uh, on FIFA's part. Denver is one of the few uh, big soccer uh, cities in uh, the states. Um. On the West Coast, they get rowdy about their soccer, man. You get, Just do your Googles. Do your Googles. And I, clearly they didn't. Uh, I'm sad for Denver. I would have done Denver for
1: Kansas City any day. I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like Kansas City was chosen because Edmonton weren't. And the big snub that everyone's talking about, the DMV, Washington, D.C., Baltimore,
0: Nation's capital. I mean, yeah, they did. They didn't get selected. Um, surprising that Philly got selected over them.
1: Here's why I'm not surprised. Go ahead. The DC bid was trash, plain and simple. Um, FedEx Field in Landover is a wasteland. That stadium, that stadium's aesthetic is disgusting, and if you need to at the last possible moment. Like co-opt Baltimore's bid, be like, oh, DC-Baltimore and have the games in Baltimore, your bid is in shambles.
0: Yeah, I was under the impression that MNT Bank Stadium in Baltimore was going to be the bid, but maybe I, I looked it up a no, little bit. No,
1: that was, but initially it was DC standalone, and then they merged DC and Baltimore together where Baltimore would have the games at m Bank, home of the Ravens, and DC Proper will have Fan events, even to the point where they would have a fans on the National Mall, now, and that that's a, I was told by the people at Park the Bus Boys. But yeah,
0: yeah, now that doesn't sound so bad. I mean, and it's the nation's capital. But aside from the fact that the Washington Command, whatever you want to call them, uh it's a complete shit show on the sports side over there at the moment. I can I can understand why the bid was trashed.
1: Those same guys were like, "Listen, this is all Dan Snyder's fault," and. I tend to agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah I feel like he's dumb. dumb. He is to the Washington football team what Mike Ashley was to yeah, Newcastle.
0: I, 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 wonderful way to um, to compare the two there. But I, I think I agree with you. He's probably someone that you don't want to have ties to at the moment. For everything that he's been surrounded with over the past couple of years. So I guess it makes sense. Dan Snyder, not the, not the guy. Not the guy.
1: So I feel like that's why there's D.C. and then D.C. Baltimore didn't get their bid. And it sucks that the capital doesn't get it, but, you know, it is what it is. But I am happy and excited to say that Cincinnati is not one of the cities. Air horn.
0: (laughs) Ah, the petty. You gotta love it. What's funny is... Who
1: wants to go? I'm visiting from... I'm visiting from Germany. I'm visiting from Brazil. I'm visiting from... Senegal, I'm visiting from Korea, I'm visiting from France, and you stick one of my games in Cincinnati.
0: Even if I'm visiting from goddamn New York, don't don't. That's what do I'm that. saying. <laughs> don't do that. But I have the same energy for Kansas City. I mean, listen, on the other football side, Kansas City, yes, great football town. But for this football- No,
1: it is a good soccer town, though. Sporting Kansas City. Has given that city a bit of an atmosphere and a support system for the sport, but yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. But my yeah. only
1: issue is Arrowhead. That stadium is run down as shit, from what I see.
0: And it's called Arrowhead, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, a fun, a funny little tidbit here: every NFC East team except the Washington Commanders seem to get a little host uh, privilege, which isn't funny enough. But
1: you are right. Yep. I just but, noticed that.
0: Yeah. Different sport, but yeah.
1: Shouts to um the soccer subs. These cities weren't shortlisted, but Charlotte and Las Vegas were good shouts.
0: And uh, other cities, if we go on with the list, I didn't make it. Uh, Nashville was not selected as well in Tennessee. I feel like I might have even gone Nashville over Kansas City, but I'm just beating a dead horse at this point. You know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> at least the, oh, yeah. chicken, and the, ch- the chicken is hot, man. <laughs> but, You feel me? Those were the whole cities for the 2026 World Cup. And honestly, for the most part, I'm not all that mad. Like, yeah, DC not being selected is a bummer, but they pretty much got a B plus, A minus on these picks.
0: I would agree with you. I think DC not being selected is a bit disappointing, but that seems like it came down more to not the fact that it was the nation's capital, but for the fact that the bid was some poo-poo. I wouldn't have done it any different hit all the major points as, as I, we thought they would. I like that they went so far over Rose Bowl again. Um, and of course they're in New York, which is <laughs> gotta love that, gotta love that. So uh, overall, I agree with you. It, B plus, A minus rating if I had to. I might've even go so high, so high as just a straight up A. Well done to FIFA. Uh, 2026 can't come soon enough. Any other thoughts on that, uh, that World Cup bid and the venues being announced? Big up to Toronto and uh, Vancouver. Uh, on opposite sides of the world basically as big as canada is um but now
1: one thing uh one large takeaway before we wrap this up the u.s could have just hosted this world cup by itself c-
0: c- clear as day <laughs> with all the bids that they had but i do appreciate uh i mean i feel like if you're coming to north america estadio azteca is a legendary football venue despite the fact that the mexican fans as of late have been not the best hosts Um, if you will, and that's putting it lightly. Um, And then I also appreciate the fact that uh, Canada gets a shot as well, especially with their rise in football over the past couple of years. Um, I'm sure that they will be buzzing to have at least two uh, venues for the World Cup. So I'm happy about it, but I do agree with you. The U.S. could have done this by themselves and then some.
1: That or split the venues evenly among the three, but neither here nor there.
0: Yeah, now you know they wasn't going to do that.
1: (laughs) Hell no america please
0: <laughs> but that was the world cup for the future we obviously talked about what happened um, for the world cup in the much nearer future anything else on the plate we um obviously if we bring it back to club football my love my passion the light of my life in football terms if you will Oh hi. <laughs> <laughs> the um the transfer us uh, the transfer rumors will continue to buzz, and as they always buzz, we at The Misfits are here to provide you with the tea. And we had some tea this week, Ronnie. Where do you want to go from here?
1: Well, Darwin Nunez to Liverpool's official, like officially official. They unveiled him on Thursday, I believe.
0: They sure did. Uh, That was a big uh, money signing for Liverpool. We spoke about it last week briefly. I did have one last question for Spencer if he's willing to answer it, and maybe Ronnie as well if you want to jump in. Is this sort of a panic buy for Liverpool? We don't. We never really see them spend all that much money, and we know that they're uh, having two of their star guys maybe out the door in Sadio Mane and Mo Salah. Did Liverpool break the bank because it was a panic buy or because they felt like this was the right guy and worth the money?
1: I don't feel like he was the right guy. I wouldn't call it a panic buy. Yeah, he's probably a bit expensive, if you want to say, but I feel like he's going to feel right in... Sadio money shoes. He's out the door already, pretty much. I wouldn't say it's a panic buy, nah.
2: Uh, I wouldn't say. I I'd probably have to agree with Ronnie. I wouldn't say it's a panic buy. Liverpool, you are very diligent in like transfers. Um, it just happens that Benfica is a club that kind of will push to get the most out of a player in terms of like their transfer. Cause didn't they sell João Felix a few years ago? I mean, he was he had a bit more, I think, experience on the top level, but they sold him for. Like I think like twenty or thirty million more than Liverpool just bought Darwin Darwin Nunez. I don't know. I think they've been keeping an eye on him, especially when he scored. I think he scored in both legs against Liverpool. There were like articles or kind of like rumors that came out that Klopp was very interested in the player, kinda of after the game, praising the player. There was mentions that Virgil was talking about how he had such a tough time playing the player. Um so I think Liverpool have been keeping an eye on him. Um and then with Sadia wanting to leave then they pulled the trigger because I don't think Liverpool would have sold Sadio without finding a suitable replacement. And with the price and inflation, it, it's hard to tell, um, just for how much players are being sold at. Um, cause I see, I mean, you, you have Holland who, I think his, whatever his release clause was, his contract supersedes that on top of like agent fees, um, and just kind of like the going rate for world class strikers or, Again, Darwin Nunez kind of like burst into the scene, like uh, Michael Richards always says, but kind of strikers with talent, kind of the going rate kind of like falls into that number um, around these numbers. So I think it's kind of the price you have to pay for someone that talented uh, and, and Benfica run a hard bargain. They're not going to sell one of their jewels on the cheap. So I think it's just the combination of the the timing, the inflation of how much players just generally cost, especially... Everybody wants attacking talent. There's a there's a premium and always will be a premium on attacking talent with the importance of scoring goals and playing the game. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think it was a panic buy. The price is just the price is the price. So <laughs> like uh, Fat Joe says today, yesterday's price is not today's price. So whatever they could have got from in January, he's more expensive now, especially after finishing the year with such a really good goal output. Well, um, we'll see how it plays out because, again, he's young. Um, ideally for a price like that you'd expect him to walk into the team but most Klopp signings generally don't um the most recent player luis diaz who again is from the same league kind of burst into the scene and kind of just took over um so we'll see darwin Union should have like a preseason and then hopefully he kind of grows into the price range but yeah no yeah, that, that's well, to pay.
1: when i said he probably won't get into the starting squad right away he would probably work his way onto the team. Y'all were laughing at me because of the price tag.
0: Oh, no, I think Spencer said well, for the price, he expects him to to get into the team. Or, did I, did yeah, he should.
2: So he should start playing sooner than later. And I think the thing, again, Jürgen Klopp's on his usually take a bit longer, but he's probably going to start preseason. Like, that's another thing. Like, he's there during preseason. So they'll see what he can right. and can't do and see how much time he needs to, to adjust and kind of bet in. but Luis Diaz kind of coming and just like starting out of nowhere is a a huge surprise because that just doesn't happen.
0: Yeah, well, and that's why I say, and that's why, uh, Ronnie, and I know you've got, um, that's a good argument to have, but uh, sticking with this one for a second, um, the reason why I kind of bring up the panic buy thing, one, obviously, is the price, and I do agree that attacking players go for a lot, Benfica does drive a hard bargain, um, but... You know, Luis Diaz, who may or may not have been, you know, on a contract that was ending, um, was signed for less money and put in, I, mean, signif- I think, is it significantly less money and made an absolute impression, walked onto the team and has been a huge difference maker, not just a regular player, but just, you know, with a significant influence on Liverpool's results. You know, for Darwin Yunez to be bought at that high price. It's not something that you see from Liverpool often. They're not—they're not teams that—they're not a team that does that, and they are very methodical and meticulous with their uh, transfer policy. And so that's why it's interesting to see that, um, especially when they did just sign Luis Diaz for—for for, you know, significantly less than Spurs were quoted,
2: if you will. But all good points. Just thought it's something I wanted to throw out there. And I think it—it it also didn't help that Sadio was very public about wanting to leave. So when you're going to go find his replacement, the uh, other teams are aware that you need to replace this player. So kind of the price sticks even harder because if a player wants to leave, you need to replace this player before they can leave. You just have to pay now. It's different if Sadio stays or there's no inclination that he wants to leave in Liverpool or just after another player.
0: Yeah. So can add to the stress levels, but you wouldn't say it was approaching panic
2: levels. Uh, I wouldn't say that. I just – because I think, so there's another it funny thing in in a bind, Liverpool...
0: right? It does put Liverpool, Liverpool in a Liverpool... bind when they, when they know that Sadio is going and it's very public. That puts them in a yeah. bind and now they know that they have to pay a premium for for for, for a, a, a replacement, if you will. And uh, we're not sure what's going to happen with Mosala, whether it be this summer or not. But that does put them in a situation where the, the stress of their transfers becomes a bit more hectic rather than just kind of swooping in for Luis Diaz when Spurs were on the negotiating table for him and they kind of were able to come in and take him.
1: But I think they swooped in on Darwin Nunez as well. Like, yeah, Sadio Mane was... Yeah, he's he's pretty much out the win, out the door. And like you said, it's public, but it was also very public that Darwin Nunez would be in this Liverpool team. Like, who else was really bidding against the Man United?
0: Man United was there, but I believe they were quoted as saying that they did not (laughs) not want to enter into a bidding war. So once Liverpool came in and looked serious, I think they backed up very quickly.
1: So I wouldn't say it was a panic buy. Like, it... I can see where you're coming from, but I don't necessarily think it was a panic buy.
2: No. And if I remember correctly, I was listening to a podcast, I which one, but they were talking about how Liverpool were aware of this player since he was at Almeria, which is the club he was at right before he came to.
1: Yes, in the, the Segunda, who are now in the Primera, yeah. and they're getting a bag now.
2: So they've seen him play. So the Liverpool scouting team, again, is very good at keeping an eye on certain players. So I think they're they're very well aware of him. And then when they saw him come good in the Champions League final scoring against very top-tier talent and top-tier teams, this just now seems to be the price that you have to pay for growing talent. And with his age, if you take that into account, and he comes good, it's just a very good investment for the future because uh, I think he's 22. You sign him on a six-year, five-year deal. If he starts to play well, starts, performs, scores goals, and actually continues to be in the team then in a few years this price might look like a steal if his output is kind of close to the things that we saw from players like Sadio Mane or not Mo Salah but kind of in that vein where he's producing and supporting the team and helping them win trophies not to put it and it helped
1: that he wanted to join
2: oh yeah I think now especially if a club if two clubs are coming after you Liverpool and Manchester United it's it's not 20 years ago where Manchester United was the team winning everything. It's, it's now where Liverpool is the team winning or at least getting the opportunity to win things. I mean, they just played in every single cup final they could last year. And I'm not sure how Manchester United season went, but it's not. Yeah, But that's more so
1: reason it's... to the, it not being a panic buy point.
0: Yeah. we yeah, all, all good points. Just a, a question that I thought I'd pose seeing it is seeing as it was slightly alarming to, uh, to see Liverpool go in and splash the bag on, uh, on uh, Nunez. And of course we'll see uh, how he affairs as a player and whether or not red was worth it. We've seen it happen time and time again. Uh, and there are more attackers that have come to the premier league. Now, of course, uh, Erling Holland has been officially announced as a Manchester city uh, player earlier in the week. Although this was rumored and it was pre. Uh, he had a pre signing much long ago before the season finished. Um, but it's official tissue now. Elsewhere in the Premier League, um, my Spurs signed Basuma, who I think is a huge signing for Spurs um, in the midfield. I think as far as ranking goes in the Premier League for midfielders, I think he's among the best. I won't say that he is the best, but he's among the best. He himself has said it uh, that he believes that he's the best in the Premier League, which I can respect that. I love the confidence. Uh, Has some off-field issues, some alleged uh, sexual assault investigation that's ongoing uh we don't have much information about that but that was a signing that happened i think it's a big move for spurs personally i'm i'm excited about him if he is to play and isn't a nasty man we shall find out in the near future if we stick with the premier league real quick sadio mane of liverpool we just spoke about him he is allegedly it's pretty much official that he's going to Bayern
1: Munich uh yeah
0: yeah
2: that's what Fabrizio says
1: yeah he's gone gone it looks like um
0: I guess more, more will come about that, the official unveilings and whatnot. We'll see in the, in the coming days or maybe weeks. Um, and there was one more in the world of women's footy, which you actually enlightened
1: me on, Ronnie. Do you want to expound on that? Bam. Um, this one caught me off guard. Lucy Bronze from Manchester City to Barcelona. I had no idea that... I, I don't even know the specifics. I don't know if like her contract was up or she was on one year left, but um, I don't even know how much Barcelona paid for bronze, but she is quite the journeywoman in in European club footy on the women's side. From Leon to City, now Barcelona, good pickup though, I'm not mad at it.
0: Yeah, I'm just looking for the fee here. She signed a two-year deal. She said, I couldn't say no to Barcelona after leaving Man City. That is what she said. Obviously, we know the powerhouse that Barcelona is despite losing the Champions League final. Um, to a team that she once played on in Lyon.
1: Now, Barcelona did lose Martins to PSG. That in itself was surprising, but Lucy Bronze to Barcelona, where I didn't even, like I said, I didn't even know, like, there was even considerations of her leaving Man City, let alone going to Barcelona, but that was a quite the deal.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, I, I, I don't see why she won't fit in for Barcelona. I feel like she'll be the same top talent she was on city and she was on Leon.
0: Yeah, interesting enough, I can't find the fee here.
1: Yeah, I couldn't find the fee either. You one thing before we cut a um cut it for transfers. Um saw this rumor on the circles. Marco Curella from Bright into Man City.
0: I saw that as well. It hurt me so. Oh I would hate to see that happen. That is a bright talent uh in the fullback spot. I'd hate for Man City to get him, but it looks like Man City are quietly trying to transition. Um, and take Premier League talent while doing so. We know Kyle Walker is getting up there in age. They do have Zinchenko at the left back, which is you know he's still pretty good. Obviously, João Cancelo is a is their mainstay, one of their best players. But man, I'll be tight if he goes to City. That kid is nice.
1: Now I know people had their doubts when he went from Hatta to Brighton, but I always thought he was a good defender.
0: Yeah, and a goal threat as well. Um,
1: now I do hope he gets more tips with the national team.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Of course as always uh as ronnie said we'll nip this one uh for now but all right well transfers done and dusted for now they will continue on as the summer goes on but and something else that will also continue on and has always continued on here at the misfits i believe it's that time
1: no 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 that can mean anything but in this particular instance i believe the time you, in which you are referring to. It's B.S. of the week time.
0: Oh, yes, indeed. (laughs) Excellent analysis, Ronnie. That is exactly what I'm talking about. Let's go.
1: Nobody is doing like what some journalists do when they write bullshit. Wow, you are great to say it, but it's all bullshit stories. What is it?
2: Most of the times it's, uh,
0: it's bullshit. <laughs> I go first. We had some, uh, an interesting week of, uh, of things... Uh, across the uh, the football spectrum, uh, keeping it on international matches. There was a match between um, El Salvador and the USA over the past week, I believe it was on Tuesday, June 14th. The match would end 1-1 uh, with red cards on both sides, uh, one for Paul Areola in the seventieth. Yes, his name is Areola. Um, and Ronald Gomez um, for el salvador the goals came from alexander larin in for el salvador and for the states jordan morris would score as late as it gets um but who cares about the match itself where it was played and what it was played on was madness fam it looked like a a mud wrestling extravaganza Uh, some world war one settings trench warfare is what it looked like The ball was rolling in the mud. It was raining. It was, yeah, I don't even know if it was raining to be fair. It was just muddy and wet. And everybody looked.
1: Uh, oh no, it was pouring. It was pouring.
0: It had to be pouring because the way that mud was not dirt, that shit was slick and sludgy. That's what it was. Um, and <laughs> everything about this match was just bad. From the referee, to the red cards, to the mud on the pitch. There was more mud than there was grass, fam. I don't even know where BS should go to. Should it be nature? Should it be the pitch itself? But uh, absolutely uh, shambles of a match. And I, I, I cut it on my TV and I'm like, I can't even watch this. This is disturbing. <laughs> it was hard to watch. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, and there was a, a lot of complaining on both sides from the States. Uh, from the USMNT fans saying, uh, you know, a lot of complaining, this pitch is terrible. Oh, what is this? And then on the other side of saying, but well, fam, y'all the same team who had people playing in minus, di- minus uh, degree weather in the frozen tundra of Minnesota, something that I would never do. Um, so, BSU. Right. And the
1: whole- thing about that is, while El Salvador and Central America can't control their conditions and where they play, the USA can. So, it's not the same thing
0: plenty of options and minus degree weather it should never be one of those so uh there's bs to go around i think the 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 folks that were saying things like oh how could we play in something like that it's like bro you guys you guys have put uh, teams in much worse conditions frostbite and all even your own players uh so bs the week there uh one more from me no
1: let me pick it back on that
0: oh go ahead go ahead
1: because around this time of year, it rains a lot in Central America, and Canada were in Honduras playing Nations League games. Unfortunately for the Canadians, they lost two to one. Motherland, of course. Now, John Herdman, the manager for Canada, was not fond of these conditions at all. He took the American approach, in that he said, and I quote, it was like trying to put a Formula One car on an off-roading track that's what it felt like every time we looked to play in certain areas that we could get our best players moving we'd either hold up or slide off the pitch and this is the kicker i just can't believe that you are going onto the pitch with 80 million dollar players and they are playing in puddles he took the greg berhalter approach in on this one and um yeah I, like I said, you can't control where you play in Central America. Oof,
0: throw the whole thing in rice. Just a couple of days. wet out there, man. Oof. And my final piece of BS before I pass it on to you, Ronnie. Um, something light. I saw it on the internet. Guy wearing a a, a, a kit with a player that we're all familiar with. Uh, some would call him the best ever. Someone would call him the best of the generation. Someone say, eh, no, I wouldn't say anything like that you know who you are the man i'm speaking about is leno messi the shirt on the back of this uh the name on the back of this guy's shirt said messi and of course messi is synonymous with a couple of colors the the, you know the uh the blue and white of uh, argentina the the blue and red of barcelona and the dark blue and red and white of psg but no this particular kit was yellow and green a brazilian shirt with the name Messi on it. Huh? What? (laughs) So, uh, I'm not sure what type of game this guy was playing or where he bought it from. He might have bought it uh, maybe Mm -hmm. Fordham Road in the Bronx. Um, Chinatown, maybe? Alibaba? The disrespect of putting Messi, an Argentinian player who has a historic rivalry with with Brazil as a nation uh, in football. Uh, It was interesting to see. Uh, So, BS Week, that guy, Uh, Fam, I mean, stick to whatever sport you actually watch Because I don't know if football is it This man said Fordham Road It's running, you know what I'm talking about (laughs) (laughs) That's the real life Alibaba
1: Man, Fordham Road is not a place you'd want to go If they were to have World Cup matches on Fordham Road I would divert everything I would exit stage left I would not go to games on Fordham Road
0: I'm watching it from home (laughs) Oh, yep. So basically, that guy and his shirt didn't figure it out. It was a terrible birthday gift. Somebody lied to you. Ronnie, what you got?
1: I would put Spencer's name on a Barcelona shirt and gifted him just because, but that's neither here nor there. Ooh. Speaking of watching games from home, um, that's what we're going to do for Qatar. And um, for those of the people who are fortunate enough to go to Qatar, they will be met with lack of hotel space. How do you run out of hotel space? It's beyond me. 80% of the 30,000 hotel rooms in Doha have been reserved for the teams, officials, guests, and media. Because the hotel space is so scarce, the Qataris are organizing their own fire festival, i.e. tents in the desert. They cost around about, about 190 euros a night. There will be tent-like structures with prefabricated cabins. Fans renting the most basic tents will have access to running water and power generators, but there will be no AC on an 86-degree night.
0: Bruh, now all we need is the uh, cheese on wheat bread sandwiches.
1: And a man who's willing to give um, same-sex fellatio in a country that doesn't allow that for water for the water tanker,
0: <laughs> oh my God. Please. Andy
1: King, shouts to Andy King.
0: That is a team player if i ever seen
1: one. Amen. They've also, the Qatar's also launched least two luxury cruise liners and encouraged homeowners to rent their properties to visitors. This is all the things that happens in a small ass country who that honestly isn't equipped to host such a large scale event. And if you're going to the World Cup and are going to reside on one of these tents, let us know how that goes.
0: Please let us know how that goes. I am interested.
1: But yeah, that is my lone BS of the week. If it gets to same-sex flatio, again, in a country that doesn't permit that, there's going to be what?
0: Sheesh. All right, well, before we uh, call it quits for episode 99, Spencer, any shout Uh,
2: shout out to Sadio Mane, a real Liverpool legend. Hate to see him go, but wish him the most success in his next venture. Hopefully, he wins tons of trophies. I uh, hope he gets them on the door. Um, just very, very grateful to watch him play and all the amazing things he helped us do. Won every trophy he could. Uh, it was just a pleasure to watch him play.
0: I mean, I won't disagree with that, even though he didn't play for my team. Hell of a guy. On to allegedly Germany, but. Before another transformer pops up, uh, Ronnie, do you want to go ahead and sign the boys off for the last episode in the double digits?
1: Last episode in the double digits. Real quick, do you think the Qataris consulted Ja Rule for this one?
0: (laughs) They must have, because the other guy's in jail.
1: (laughs) He's living in a halfway house.
0: Oh, shit. I mean, he might be pulling some string behind the scenes, man.
1: That guy was nuts. Billy McFarlane, I think his name was. Correct firehead Um, thanks so much for listening to episode 99 of the football misfits podcast we thank you all for listening if you know your maths episode 100 the big 100 is right around the corner for Spencer LV I go by the name of Ronnie we will see you then Stay strong, be brave, do not give fellatio for water. Adios, everybody.
2: <laughs> That's a wild ending. Right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no!